Hello from the children of planet Earth. Three, two, one, zero. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Hi, I'm Dr. Alan Duffy. And I'm Dr. Amanda Bauer. We're astronomers. And in this season, Cosmic Vertigo is going to the extremes. Like... Space is so cold, you would freeze into a solid block. Knock, knock. Who's there? Lettuce. Lettuce who? Lettuce in. It's getting cold out here. Ah, uh, that feeling you get when your face contorts from hearing a joke like that? That's what we call bad pun afterglow. Oh, come on. Do the real one. Okay, okay. That feeling you get when you realize there are places on our planet that are colder than even space itself? That's what we call cosmic vertigo. Five, four, three, two, one. One, two, three, four, five, five, four, three, two, one. End of test. Ice, ice, baby. All right, stop. Collaborate and listen. <laughs> oh, where did that come from? I'm not going to go from there. Oh. Amanda, I am impressed. I'm impressed. Come right. on, you know that. <laughs> Yeah, that was hard, but this is all about cold, Amanda, so come on. What's the coldest you've ever been? There's a lot of ways to interpret <laughs> that question. Not on a personality level, we're going to stick to temperature-wise. Yeah, devoid of human warmth is clearly where I was going for on this. I think really one of my most distinct memories about cold, there are probably two. My least favorite one, and the one that I can't get out of my head, is observing in the winter. So the winter's great because you get these really long nights and you get gorgeous crisp skies, but it's freaking cold. And when you go out on the catwalk to look at the night sky and it's windy, it's just bitingly cold. And it's really annoying because you can't really go outside and enjoy the stars during your long exposures. You're sort of stuck inside. I have tried a lot <laughs> to fight through that and go out during winter observing nights, but I just can't. Mm -hmm. I remember I was camping in Northern Ireland and there was a just incredible drop in temperature overnight. And let's be honest, this is Ireland. So, you know, it's probably like minus 10 at worst, maybe minus eight. But it was so cold, my boots froze. And I remember having to try to snap the laces to try to work them a little bit just so I could tie my shoes in the morning to go hiking again. I was just like, this sucks. And that's when I made the decision to come to Australia 10 years later. <laughs> Never want to be that cold again. So what are the places on Earth where you should definitely avoid going if you do not like cold temperatures? Well, unsurprisingly, Amanda, I would imagine Antarctica would not be on your list. If you hate the cold, do not go there because the Soviet, at the time, Antarctic Research Station at Vostok, reached minus 89.2 degrees Celsius back in 1983. This is such an absurdly cold temperature and is the world record for measured temperature with a 
thermometer right there and then. I think we have seen lower temperatures from orbiting satellites, but currently this is the record holder. The coldest inhabited place in the world is, and I cannot possibly say this correctly, so my apologies to any Siberian listeners, Oymyakon? Oymyakon. I don't know. A place in Siberia. There's only 500 people, so there's a very small probability that there's actually anyone from that area listening to this. But if I have just mispronounced your small village name incorrectly, I'm very, very and please, sorry. Please do let us know. We would love to hear from you. Yeah, yeah. I, I take feedback on my pronunciation well, so please do. Residents in this town, interestingly enough, leave their cars running all the time if they're parked on the street because it's so cold. I mean, it regularly plunges down to almost minus 100 degrees Fahrenheit or minus 70 Celsius. I saw some photos from a very brave journalist who apparently struggled with his fingers freezing while he was trying to take some of these photos, but he showed winter markets there. And so you walk through stall after stall of just frozen fish sticking up out of baskets. Not wrapped, no refrigeration necessary, just frozen fish sticking up. This is what the, uh, the winter food market offers. I've never experienced cold of anything like that. One day, one day maybe Antarctica. Or maybe if I go to Mars, because Mars can be pretty cold. And in actual fact, during the summer on the equator, it actually gets up to the 20s. So that's pretty good. Hmm, very nice. Yeah, very nice. You know, that's a pretty good summer day back in Ireland. But in winter, just like Earth, and in particular at the poles, it gets really cold. A consequence of its thin atmosphere, as well as being further away from the sun than us, reaching minus 153 degrees Celsius, or some ridiculous number in Fahrenheit. Minus 243. (laughs) If that that makes it more relevant for you, more understandable, relatable. This is absolutely brutal, but it's worth bearing in mind, and this gets back to the idea of temperature and heat, because the atmosphere is thinner on Mars, I actually don't think you would cool down as quickly in that Martian winter than you would say in Antarctica, where it was minus 89 degrees Celsius, and with a very strong wind, a a blizzard-like condition. And that's simply because you would lose the heat from your body more quickly with the dense air rushing by you, robbing you essentially of that heat, rather than the thinner Martian air. I haven't done the numbers on this, but my intuition tells me that you'd probably cool down quicker in Antarctica, even though it's about half as cold as Mars, simply because of the density of the air, especially if there was a wind. Yeah, or any sort of humidity. Oh yeah, the water molecules carry huge amounts of your thermal energy away for a very modest temperature increase, enormous heat capacity of water. So what's the coldest planet in our solar system? It's not Mars. I mean, Mars is cool, but it's not the coldest. The coldest temperatures, you would think, would be a planet that is far away from the sun. And the farthest away planet is Neptune, but the coldest temperatures we've actually measured are in Uranus's atmosphere. So it's got frozen, swirling ammonia and nitrogen. We've measured temperatures down to minus 371 Fahrenheit, or minus 224 degrees Celsius, if that's what you choose. <laughs> as does the majority of the world. For your temperature preference. <laughs> as do as 
do most of you. It's really interesting because Uranus, it's a bit of an outlier. It's not supposed to be this cold. It's colder than it is predicted to be. And Neptune's like a billion miles farther away from the sun than Uranus is. So how is Uranus so much colder? Well, there's probably two reasons. One is that Uranus is a bit of a, an oddball in that it sits on its side as it orbits around the sun. And the other thing is that it has a surprising amount of energy in its atmosphere, and so that's probably causing a lot of heat to spew out into space, and so that causes the planet to cool. And it's also, as it turns out, a little bit colder than our favorite previous planet, Pluto. But that's not a planet, and that's not what you asked, so I won't get into there at this time. This, this heated discussion. <laughs> <laughs> we, won't, we won't bring on this heated discussion yet again. Just go back to season one. <laughs> but that's the coldest planet in the solar system. So what is the coldest naturally occurring place in the solar system? That I find fascinating. It's a lot closer to home. And in fact, it is on a permanently shadowed crater on the moon. On our moon. Yep. Near the poles, the sunlight never reaches the bottom of this crater and NASA's Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter was able to measure a temperature of minus 238 degrees Celsius or close to minus 400 degrees Fahrenheit. Very, very cold. That is so impossibly cold and it's extremely exciting because it's so cold that we could potentially have water sitting there as ice, nicely preserved, ready and waiting for future human exploration to make use of that water sitting locked away in these shadowed craters. So I expect you'll begin to hear a lot more about these very, very cold places in the coming years. That's the coldest naturally occurring place in the solar system, but it turns out that's not the coldest place in our solar system. That is a human-made object. It turns out that that is the Planck satellite. This is my favorite satellite. This was I watched this launch at the start of my PhD, and it was recording the afterglow of the Big Bang during my postdoc, and then I got to use the cosmological parameters. It measured the size, the distribution, the bulk properties of the universe through this afterglow of the Big Bang, the cosmic microwave background. And those updated numbers I got to feed into one of my latest baby universes on a supercomputer and recreate the universe with these updated numbers. It was an almost coming of age for me to have had my PhD students use the data that was taken from a satellite that I saw launch when I was a PhD student. Oh, just a baby student. Is Planck still operating now? I don't believe so because it has almost certainly run out of coolant. So its helium reserves will almost certainly have been expunged by now. That coolant is very important. This satellite has to keep itself so cool, it's actually cooler than surrounding space because what it's measuring is the heat of that space. It 
So on Earth, we have a really challenging time using telescopes in the infrared because the structure of the telescope actually glows in infrared light. If you've ever walked through one of those infrared cameras, you can see your body temperature just glowing. So most of the observations we do in the infrared have to be done from satellites orbiting in space. And the same is true with the Planck satellite. Not only is it measuring the temperature of space, it has to be colder than that in order for it to be sensitive to it. So this telescope is just 0.1 Kelvin above absolute zero. That is crazy. It is colder than the temperature of space. I love it. It is a fantastic instrument. It has to be so cold simply so that it's not blinded by its own glowing temperature. So, Alan, what is the temperature of space? Just out there, you're floating around, not in a galaxy. What's the temperature of space? It is 2.72548 Kelvin. Some places are not... We can actually measure it that precisely? Oh, we can go way more even than that. But this is all I can be bothered writing down. We can measure this temperature of space so accurately. This is the leftover energy heat of the Big Bang long since expanded away and cooled. Some places are fractionally warmer, 0.0057 Kelvin warmer, and some places are 0.000... Wait, how many zeros did I just say? 57 Kelvin colder. This is such an exacting temperature range. It's the equivalent of me going in, getting my coffee, wanting it brewed at exactly 93 degrees Celsius. Not 92.98 and not 93.02, but exactly brewed at 93 degrees Celsius. Now, fortunately, I live in in Melbourne where the baristas are actually that good and absolutely do the coffee at the correct temperature. Yeah, well, the challenge for them is that all of those Melburnians are also carrying around their thermometers measuring that exact temperature, so they better be that good. (laughs) It's a fascinating question and challenge as to why the temperature is so similar everywhere across the universe, why that background temperature is exactly 2.72548 Kelvin. And that is a question for another time. Because there are some places that are colder than that temperature in space. One of the absolute coldest places in space Coldest, colder than space itself, which doesn't make sense, but it's a true statement, <laughs> is the Boomerang Nebula. Great name, isn't it? Boomerang. Mm-hmm. Uh, this nebula is located inside of our Milky Way galaxy. It's only 5,000 light years away. And it's an absolutely fascinating object. So all stars, like our sun, will evolve through their red giant phase, they'll puff up their outer layers, they'll release them in this glowing, gorgeous planetary nebula, and they will leave a hot, dense, white dwarf star behind. But sometimes, and this is not very common, at least that we've been able to observe, there is a pre-planetary nebula phase. And this is pretty fascinating because the material from the outer parts of the star doesn't go and puff up out into kind of a ring or a spherical structure. It goes out in two jets on the opposite side of the star. These jets only last for a few thousand years, which is pretty short in astronomical time. (laughs) A few thousand years is nothing. But during this phase, the gas gets pushed out 10 times faster than usual. So it's 170 kilometers per second, which is just zooming out there. This means that the star creating the Boomerang Nebula is losing like two Neptunes worth of material every year. And it's because of this that this nebula is so cold. 
This is adiabatic cooling. It's a pretty simple physics concept, but it's because there's a tiny opening that causes the air to be pushed out and it expands really rapidly and it cools very quickly. Well, I mean, it's an analogous experience with the deodorant can. So for me growing up in the 80s, 90s, deodorant sprays, there was none of these roll-ons, it was all deodorant sprays, and there came a very challenging use of that. Essentially, you didn't hold the can too close to yourself because it would feel cold. And what was happening was that the gas, the deodorant spray, was coming from an overpressurized can that was sitting at room temperature if you just left it in your house. But as you press the button, that gas expanded out into the room and onto you. And in its expansion, it cooled. Essentially, the same amount of energy was being spread over a larger volume and it would reduce in speed or velocity. And that is a lower temperature. It does literally feel colder. So the Boomerang Nebula, you have this gas expanding outwards at incredible speeds, expanding into a volume, and that cools. And that adiabatic cooling can drop the temperature of that nebula to below even that of the background space itself for a time. Eventually, it will heat up and and it will reach equilibrium balance with the surrounding cosmic microwave background, the afterglow of the Big Bang. But at least for now, the coldest place naturally occurring in the known universe is the Boomerang Nebula. And I can say I've never experienced that deodorant spray, and that sounds awful. Never want to. No thanks. How have you lived a life without having that like, ah, when you sort of spray it way too close to yourself? That's crazy. Apparently pretty well. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Judging much there? That's weird. So that's the coldest naturally occurring place in space. And so the implication is that there's some place colder in space. We're talking colder than a fraction of a Kelvin above absolute zero. Oh, way colder. So where is the coldest place that we know of existing in the universe? Right here on Earth. Back on Earth. It is really incredible. This whole season we're talking about the extremes of the universe and usually you have to go to just extraordinary places to find those extremes. But in terms of temperature, the coldest place in the known universe and likely ever unless there's some aliens out there doing similar experiments, is right here. We have been on a quest to reach absolute zero. And researchers have invented incredible technologies to reduce the temperature of pieces of metal or of gases of atoms to ever colder temperatures. And we're beginning now to get to... Oh, just a crazy form of matter. I absolutely love this. I've lost kind of how many different types of matter there are. Arguably, a new state of matter, a different state of matter, is the Bose-Einstein condensate. Yeah, it just rolls right off the tongue, that Bose-Einstein condensate, just like liquid, (laughs) gas, solid Bose-Einstein condensate. Oh, it's right there. That's a bit harsh. I really, I really like that name. It's not going to catch on if they uh, keep that name, I have to say. A B-E-C. Does that help? Oh, yeah. Because acronyms always solve every problem. <laughs> That's the astronomer's way. Let's come up with a new acronym. A condensate is a reasonably often heard term for this substance. Back in 1995, researchers cooled a bunch of rubidium atoms to 170 nano kelvin 
170 times 10 to the minus 9 Gosh. Kelvin. This is... That is a very small number. That is not very much above absolute zero. And at that point, those atoms all begin to collapse onto one another, quite literally sharing the same quantum mechanical state and become effectively one single object, a quantum mechanical object that we call a Bose-Einstein condensate. It's so cold that there's now no internal jiggling thermal motion for those atoms to essentially spread out or to separate. They just lie together. The bosons of these rubidium atoms effectively occupy the same state. It is an extremely bizarre state of matter, and you can only reach it by going to low temperatures. But that's not even close to the limit now. We're really good. Humans are really clever. So we've continued this experiment, and it goes beyond. So in 2003, we've done a condensate of sodium atoms. They were cooled to 450 pico Kelvin. We're getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So we, we keep talking about the color of, say, a star tells you the temperature. And that's because as the hotter temperatures have shorter wavelength of light, which we see as bluer colors. So 10,000 Kelvin is a blue color. If you go the other way and you go towards zero Kelvin, you're getting longer wavelengths of light. When you get to 450 pico Kelvin, the black body equivalent light that you get from such a cold object has a wavelength equivalent to that of the Earth's radius. It's just incredible. Like, I don't even understand what that means. It's wonderful. <laughs> but we went colder. We have gone even colder than that. We took a piece of rhodium metal and cooled it to 100 picokelvin. So this is point nine zeros and one degree above absolute zero. This is freaking cold. <laughs> and to put this into some perspective, your body is a thousand times hotter relative to that cold gas than the hottest exploding star is to your body. That's incredible. It's pretty cold. <laughs> so how do you even cool something to that low? That's like, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> how do these people run these experiments? So to reach these sorts of temperatures takes a lot of technology, but based on a few very common physics principles. We all sweat to cool down, and when we sweat, what's happening is that the water on our skin is heated, is sitting at that typical temperature of our body, and those jiggling atoms are essentially preferentially carried away. The hotter ones get evaporated, leaving the sweat behind slightly cooler, and hence so to your body. And over time, you can actually cool down that way. We do the same thing with these kinds of experiments, but instead of sweat, which is, you know, 37 degrees Celsius, that's no good to anyone, we use liquid helium, for example, and boil off the helium. Now, with that, we can get that to millikelvin. So that's a thousandth of a kelvin above absolute zero. Then, if we want to cool down even more, we essentially have to trick the atoms of our of our sample into emitting absolutely every last bit of energy that they have. 
We do that with magnetic refrigeration. And the simple idea is we're basically turning on and off a magnet. And when the magnet is on, we align the nuclear spins. And then when the magnet turns off, they just jiggle around again. And in doing so, they emit a tiny amount of energy as a form of light. We just keep doing that over and over and over, tricking them into releasing the very last bit of energy that they might possess. And we reach pico Kelvins. That's a pretty clever little trick. It's a good trick. Sooner or later, though, we can't reach zero. We all know that this race to reach ever colder temperatures where phenomena such as superconductivity or quantum computing, all of these fantastical use cases come from these low temperature physics experiments. But we know that zero, although it's just so close. We're at a pico-kelvins. These are 10 to the minus 12 kelvins. But we can't quite reach zero because quantum mechanically speaking, it's the end of everything. Absolute zero implies absolute no motion, frozen particles in time. And if you perfectly know where something is because it's not moving, you're breaking that fundamental principle of quantum mechanics known as Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. We know that we can't reach it. And yet the quest continues to see how close to zero can you go? Hi, low, can you go? How low can you go? And right now we are reaching Pico Kelvins. Who knows where this journey ends, but it won't be at zero. So we're constantly trying to reach this absolute zero the zero degrees on the Kelvin scale, which is minus 273 in Celsius and minus 459 Fahrenheit. So those don't have quite the same uh, meaning when you when you look at just the numbers. Do the precision. It's a perfect, it's an absolute okay. defined quantity. Don't rind off. <laughs> the absolute zero, zero degrees on the Kelvin scale, which is minus 273.5. 1.5 degrees Celsius and minus 459.67 degrees Fahrenheit. You're welcome, Alan. It's important to be precise. <laughs> <laughs> so this temperature absolute zero is impossible to reach based on our current understanding of physics. I mean, it's, it's really the point when entropy reaches a minimum and there is no energy left to do any work. In terms of classical thermal energy, it's zero that particles stop moving in time. They stop moving in space. And that's not possible. It can't be reached. It can't exist. And yet, we still keep trying. Scientists on Earth still keep trying to reach this mystical absolute zero. So although we've created the coldest place in the known universe right here on Earth, that's not to say that the universe won't one day become even colder than that. And that's simply because the universe is expanding and indeed accelerating in that expansion. It becomes ever emptier and any energy that there is in the universe is spread or shared over an ever larger volume. Now, sort of ignoring the horrors of what dark energy is and the potential zero-point fluctuations of the quantum vacuum, just thinking classically. Sweep that stuff under the rug. That's fine. Spread out that energy. Yeah, 
we'll just ignore that because we don't really know what that is. But it does imply that at some future point, when all the stars have shone their last, protons have all decayed, if that's the thing that they do, and even the very black holes themselves have evaporated, when our positronium atom with an orbit the size of the observable universe today, when that occurs, then space itself will be colder. At this future point, the heat death of the universe is a very cold, very empty, very boring place. So at that point, the coldest place in the observable universe will be space itself, but that won't give you any comfort because you'll have been dead for trillions upon trillions upon trillions of years. Again, if sometime we create time travel and you are thinking about holiday destinations, heat death of the universe, not recommended. That's all the Cosmic Vertigo we've got for you this time. I'm Dr. Amanda Bauer. And I'm Dr. Alan Duffy. Our producers this season are... Joel Werner. Carl Smith. And I'm Sarah Mashman. Our science editor is Jonathan Webb. And our sound engineer is Mark Don. And in the next episode, this happens. The oldest cat, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, is over 38 years old. Oh, wow. <laughs> that is a long time. It's older than me. It's older than us. I know. <laughs> that is an old cat. Mm-hmm.